Hello and welcome to Ad Creeps, the podcast where we dissect and correct the TV ads that raised us, phased us, and amazed us. My name is Al. I'm here with my best buddy, D. Hi, I ate the spiciest pizza so quickly. You eat a pizza very quickly. It was a snake. I unhinged my jaw <laughs> and I wrapped my lips around a very uh, spicy pizza. And Lister, you're going to experience oh. sort of how that goes for the next oh. 30, to, 30 to 45 minutes. Oh, it's rumbling down there. <laughs> it's rumbling. And you saw me. I went ham with the hot honey, too. You just poured it on. I love a hot honey on a pepperoni. I love a hot honey on sausage. Yeah. Oh, sausage. It was, oh. But, like, and, okay, here was my problem. The hot mm-hmm. honey was cold. So instead of, like, a syrup, mm-hmm. it was, like, a candy. Yeah. Oh, you know? just it was all like sticky. Hard, it just hard candy oh, poured ooh. right onto my <laughs> Anyway, we'll see. I'm going to explode in an hour. Okay. So that's our that's our Cinderella pumpkin time. That's when you'll explode. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. On January 5th, 1904. Okay. Elizabeth Maggie or Lizzie, to her friends, was granted U.S. patent 748,626 by the U.S. Patent Office at a time when women owned 1% of all patents and did not yet have the right to vote. You go, girl. Girl power. (laughs) Wait, that's not the energy? (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) We love her. A feminist and abolitionist activist, Lizzie worked as a stenographer at the Dead Letter Office. Dead Letter? Yeah. What's that? That's where all the letters go that can't be delivered. Oh, so what did she do? She was a stenographer, so I don't know. She wrote stuff. She up. rewrote them? I'm not sure exactly. Okay. She was just in the office. She was in there. She worked there. Uh, she also wrote short stories, acted, and performed comedy in D.C. starting in the early 1880s. Oh, she's an improv girly. <laughs> this is the original Miss Maisel. Whoa! <laughs> I like to think CW picks up the dead letters and, like, now it's a supernatural thing. No. Set, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, these letters, they're written by ghosts. They're dead. They're dead. Actually, shush, I might write that. <laughs> <laughs> TM, 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 TM. <laughs> Lizzie's father, James K. Maggie, was a newspaper publisher and abolitionist who traveled with Abraham Lincoln in the Illinois debate circuit. Oh. And he shared a copy of a book with his daughter, Lizzie. Okay. Called Progress and Poverty, the book by Henry George described the principles of Georgism. Georgism? Yeah. I love how you can just name anything after yourself. Oh, back in the day? Yeah. Everything was up for grabs. (laughs) (laughs) So Georgism is the idea that individuals should own 100% of what they make or create. Oh. And that everything found in nature, land especially, should belong to everyone. Okay. Groovy. So pretty, yeah, pretty common sort of left-wing way to think these days yeah the book sparked something in her imagination and she began to work on refining a game that would explain the principles of georgism to others i think i know where we're going (laughs) okay the patent for this game included a diagram of the game board which was circular oh uh, played continuously along the outer edges of the board at a time when most games were linear yeah the title of her creation was The Landlord's Game. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've taught economics. This is funny because you think, like, what you owe, you should own 100%, but landlords. <laughs> she's barking up the wrong tree with this one. Is she? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the main objective of the game was to show players how the current practice of land grabbing was detrimental to humanity. Oh, so it's like... <laughs> 
Both satire. As well as showing how rent enriches property owners and impoverishes tenants. It's a learning opportunity. It's a learning opportunity. I wish we went into Monopoly with this state. Like, no one, no one likes to play Monopoly. No. I mean, we'll talk about it. <laughs> this is what it's about. No one likes to play Monopoly. And that's because the game is designed to say, this is bad. Yeah, this sucks, actually. This and is... a lot of reviews of Monopoly in the modern day have that, but they don't take it. They just take it at face value, like, this sucks, and I hate it. Well, it's like, well, think about it, This baby. is a bad and long game. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> you're opening up some minds. Maggie hoped that the game would provoke children's natural suspicion of unfairness. Oh, my God. And carry that through to adulthood. I am, I'm on board with Monopoly now. But it has to have these rules set. Yeah, and it doesn't anymore. No. Um, <laughs> Lizzie Maggie and her fellow Georgist game designers formed the Economic Game Company in 1906. The Economic Game Company. And attempted to sell the Landlord's Game to Parker Brothers, but it was rejected as being too complicated. <laughs> they're on that sorry shit. <laughs> they're, they're having fun getting into trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you have to, do you have a little bubble you can if push? If you don't have a bubble. If you don't have a bubble. A dice bubble, a dice jail, you can't. <laughs> So there were originally two rule sets for the game. Okay. The pro-Georgist rules were called prosperity, and the goal was to create products and interact with opponents, rewarding all players for their cooperation. Oh my god. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. You seem touched. I am, because, like, when I used to teach Econ 12, yeah. I would play, I would do these games. Mm-hmm. Like, this would be a game I would bring into my classroom, like, see? It ain't good. This is like the landlord's game first, like gained popularity it from economics professors teaching it in universities, oh. and then kids would like go create their own versions. I like this a lot. Yeah. So the other way of playing is the one that we all know. Yeah. Owning industries, renting out land, and forcing other players out of the game by diminishing their wealth. Yeah. And that version was called Monopoly. And then what's the version where you are the bank and then you steal money? That's cheating. Oh, oh. But oh. it's fun. It's fun. I. <laughs> cheats so much oh, yeah. in every board game you gotta currently yes <laughs> it's i don't want to lose <laughs> also want the game to be ended quicker yeah sometimes you do just sometimes get... you're like uh, this is it the first half you're like okay we're having fun the second half it's like we gotta speed we this gotta up. we gotta we, i got stuff to do i gotta crank some levers here do you remember when everyone was like really into board games when we were children no like oh. like 10 years ago oh yes yeah sorry the Catan people i just immediately was thinking about being a kid and like wanting to play monopoly and everyone Did else you? being like it sucks <laughs> I played Junior Monopoly. The thing I liked about Monopoly was... What? Colors. Squares. Money. Different colors of money that I could organize as the banker. I love it. Arranging my little property cards as as I wished. There's a lot of management. (gasps) Okay, I see. Little Al loves (laughs) management, and that's what you do in video games today. Little Al loves... I don't love management, but but I love organizing. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, stuff organizing, stuff management. Yeah, absolutely. Not people management. No, no, Stay away from me. Absolutely not. That is my job, though. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Here is a fun fact. Love it. So as we know, a monopoly is when a single entity sells all of a good or service within a market. Yes. The reverse of that is called a monopsony. <laughs> a monopsony. A monopsony is when a single entity purchases all of a good or service in a market. I didn't know that. So you taught me a thing. An example of a monopsony would be like a company town. Oh. Because one entity is buying all the labor. 
I wish I was still teaching Econ 12 because I'd be like, <laughs> hey, guess what I just learned, friends? So a monopoly controls supply yeah. and a monopsony controls demand. Yeah. And that's your microeconomic minute. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I love it. <laughs> What's the most famous American monopoly? The game. Trick question. <laughs> Mr. Moneybags. No, not a trick question. No. I mean, like a business. Oh, gosh. In golly. American history. In American history? Probably steel? Mmm. Those Rockefellers? That's where I went. Is that where you went? I went to the Rockefellers. Yeah. Founded by John D. Rockefeller in 1870, oh. Standard Oil controlled 91% of oil refinement and 85% of final sales in the United States by Jesus 1904. Christ. Which is the same year that Lizzie's patent was awarded. Okay. And she's like, these fucking Rockefellers. <laughs> these fucking guys. At its height, it was the largest petroleum company in the world. Oh, they did oil, not steel. Yeah. I mixed that up. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. And produced a spectacular amount of wealth for its founder. Damn. And he would have gotten away with it, too. <laughs> If it wouldn't have been for... If it hadn't been for troublemaking muckrakers like Ida Tarbell, whose thorough investigative reporting into Standard Oil's bad business practices helped bring it under the scrutiny of the government via the 1890 Sherman Antitrust Act. Yeah, I was going to say Sherman. <laughs> you got Sir Teddy Roosevelt trust busting. He sure is. He's got a big stick. He's got to hit something. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is tickling my my U.S. history brain in the correct way. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sherman Act prohibited conduct that monopolized a given market. And by 1911, they managed to succeed in their case against Standard Oil, forcing it to be broken up into 43 separate companies. 43. So many of those were actually previously existing smaller companies that Rockefeller had simply eaten and absorbed as he built his <laughs> empire. They've, they've Kirby'd it. Yes, and he's not shaped like a friend. No, he's Could not. Could you imagine being a little oil company and they're like, yeah, we're going to sit on this stuff. Oops, we got gobbled up. We're going <laughs> to, we have our, we, we got paid and we're going to like retire. And then like Roosevelt's like, nah, uh, uh. Just a sweet, innocent oil company. Uh, just a sweet little oil company. <laughs> no, you got to keep doing it again. This is very similar um, to what we talked about with AT&T. Yeah. The Nori Sindak one, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Lots of modern monopolies. It's almost as if America's built on it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Three, three monopolies in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> but the wide-ranging control of Standard Oil hadn't just been apparent in the United States. Mm. Prior to the breakup of Standard Oil, it was also having a great effect on the oil market internationally. Okay. Namely, it made other countries like Britain and Germany go, oh shit, we better find some fucking oil, but quick. Oh no. And where did they find that oil? Just anywhere in their little, in their dominions or colonies. And if they didn't, they made more. And yeah, then they were like, ooh, dang. So the Ottoman Empire, we all know this guy, right? We know this fat lug. <laughs> this motherfucker. We had a bad rap. Maybe because in World War One they were fighting. Anyway, you'll probably talk about it. <laughs> I'd say a well-deserved bad rap. <laughs> more than 600 years this feller was around. But we're just going to talk about the very end. Okay. At the outset of the 1900s, the Ottoman Empire stretched across modern-day Turkey, down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, across to the Persian Gulf, down to the Red Sea, and continued on down the west coast of the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, it's a chunky fella. It's a chonker. Yeah. In 19... I can't believe I just referred to the Ottoman Empire as a chonker. <laughs> I need you to shoot me immediately. Ew-woo. <laughs> Constantinople, ew-woo. In 1908, <laughs> God, 
the Young Turk movement was causing major changes and steps towards multi-party politics inside the empire, as well as social reform. However, these changes also created fractures and fears that cultural minorities within the state, such as Armenians, could seek independence, Uh-oh. weakening the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> the backlash no. against the Armenian community for their assumed desire to leave resulted in the Armenian genocide at the hands yeah. of the Young Turk government. Considering this, I guess I wouldn't name my talk show about it. I was just going to uh, say! But you do you. <laughs> I've heard of them before. They're yeah. on the TikTok. And they're turfs. Oh... This shift in power also opened the door for political negotiations with European powers over the resources of Mesopotamia, including its oil reserves. Those Mesopotamians. They had something going for it, right? <laughs> Settle between two rivers. Yeah. Yeah. Right in there. <laughs> nestle, nestle, <laughs> nestled right in there. In 1912, a year after Standard Oil's dissolution... The Turkish Petroleum Company was formed to acquire land concessions from the Ottoman Empire in order to explore for oil. Mm. The Turkish Petroleum Company was jointly owned by Britain and Germany through their company's Royal Dutch Shell subsidiary Anglo-Saxon Oil Company, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank? Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank. When you say... I'm going to call him Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank. When you say Turkish Petroleum, yeah, it makes me think of Turkish Delight that is like... Petroleum jelly? Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not owned by anybody Turkish. No, no. And it tastes like rose water. You should not eat it. You put it under your eyes. Don't eat it. It's nice and refreshing. God. <laughs> so Anglo-Saxon oil company, Douche Bank, and the British-owned National Bank of Turkey. And also, a man named Mr. 5%. Just a guy? Yeah. Okay. The uh, Armenian businessman, Kalust Gulbenkian, drove the deal, and he would become infamous over the next few decades for always retaining a 5% interest in deals he forged, which facilitated Europe's access to Middle Eastern oil. Kerbankian? Gulbenkian. Gulbenkian. That is, if you're going to take money off the top, <laughs> that's the name for you. <laughs> he just always retained it, the 5%, every time he made a deal, and they called him Mr. 5%. He's on Shark Tank now. <laughs> yeah, he is well dead. <laughs> Unfortunately for this beautiful business connection between Britain and Germany, something occurred shortly thereafter that made it difficult for them to work together. Franz Ferdinand died. It was World War One. Yeah. And they were on opposite sides. Oopsie daisy. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. Lovers uh, to enemies to lovers. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Germany was on Team Ottoman, while Britain and their guy, T.E. Lawrence, who we mentioned in a previous oh, episode, yeah, right. was uh, they were supporting the Arab revolutionaries who sought to leave the Ottoman Empire, and mm. they were courting their allegiances by promising them an independent Arab state at the end of the war. But that turned into a mandate system. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I just taught about this. Oh, did school. you? Yeah, the mandate system. Unfortunately, that matter had already been decided for pretty much everyone living in that area of the world by two guys. How embarrassing. Mark Sykes and Francois-Georges Picot. In 1916, the United Kingdom, France, the Russian Empire, and the Kingdom of Italy had a secret treaty Mm. in which, on the assumption that they would defeat Germany and the Ottoman Empire, they had already divided up the land between them. Yes. (laughs) I told you we would talk about World War I. I I literally just gave my kids a quiz on this. Excellent. Yeah. I'm an expert. Well, if I fuck anything up, you can. I'm give not me really F-. listening. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> no, we don't give grades anymore. Oh. We have the four point scale. Oh. It is developing. Wait, no, emerging, developing, proficient, and extending. I don't love that. 
I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> the parents don't either, actually. <laughs> I'm not obsessed. They're with like, that. what does extending mean? It's not like, because I think we need grades. Grades. I don't think we need. But grades because either. there's the something about the language <laughs> that feels uniquely colonial. You mean emerging? <laughs> Developing? Mm. Oh. Mm. <laughs> oh boy. So the Sykes Pico agreement essentially carved Mesopotamia into a top half and a bottom half. <laughs> Sometimes you need. <laughs> Giving France, Southeast Turkey, Kurdistan, Syria, and Lebanon, mm. with Britain taking Transjordan, Southern Iraq, and Palestine. We talked about her before. We did talk about her. Transjordan. <laughs> We're fans. We're fans. These zones weren't telegraphed as ownership of the land, but as designated zones of influence and control, places where the European powers didn't feel that the native populations of the land were, quote, mm. ready for political autonomy. In this case, as in most, a community that is ready for political autonomy by the standards of empire is one that is willing to give the empire access to their resources on unbalanced terms. Yeah, also you have to be white. That's also an important... <laughs> That's also really you important have to for be Britain. White. Yeah. Like, really. Ugh. And of all the land divided up after the defeat of the Ottoman Empire, there was one resource that everybody wanted access to, and it actually wasn't the one with the most oil. Yeah, they weren't, they, they were in oil. It was, was it, what was it, what was it, was it, just like access to the sea, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was it. They wanted it. That's Suez Canal. She's going to be a bitch later on. She's too expensive, <laughs> they say. They say. In a 1947 issue of Commentary Magazine, Ernest Asher writes, So far as the supply of Middle Eastern oil to European markets is concerned, the most logical outlet geographically and strategically is clearly Palestine, which through nominally a mandate is for all practical purposes a British colony. With all neighboring Arab countries having by now gained their independence from Britain and France, Palestine remains the only area on the eastern Mediterranean seaboard under exclusively British control. To this fact may be ascribed Britain's reluctance to further the idea of an independent Palestine, or of a Jewish and Arab state, or for that matter, to improve Jewish-Arab relations. Meanwhile, Palestine's importance as the oil handling center and potential producer of crude oil increases month by month. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We love some finagling by imperialistic powers. Yeah. Hmm. After the war, the Turkish Petroleum Company went through some changes. Ch-ch-ch-changes. After managing to strike oil in 1927, just north of Kirkuk, Iraq, an extensive oil field was discovered. Mm. The German shares of the company had been redistributed to the French as spoils of war. <laughs> Treaty of Versailles, baby. <laughs> Fuck Germany. Now France is my best friend. <laughs> Aww. And the company was reorganized under the name the Iraq Petroleum Company, oh. with even parts owned by British oil interests, French oil interests, and American oil companies, including two Standard Oil offshoots, Standard Oil of New Jersey, and Standard Oil of New York. And of course, 5% to Kalus Gulbenkian. We gotta have him. He's, He's gotta here. Be here. He's gotta be here. And by 1935, that crude oil from Kirkuk could travel in 10 days' time down a newly built pipeline through Iraq and Transjordan to arrive at the Palestinian port city of Haifa, where the British mandatory government had built a big, beautiful refinery and a modern deep-sea port, making the city of Haifa a vital resource for Britain, France, and America. But not building anything else, yeah. like roads or infrastructure... But we have this big, beautiful refinery. The oil, as long as the oil can get yeah. where it needs to go. People don't need to. That's all that matters. Yeah. 
This existing infrastructure then increased even more the strategic importance of the region as other oil companies like Standard Oil of California planned in 1945 to build a thousand mile pipeline to Haifa from Saudi Arabia. What's California doing in there? Oh, they're working with the Saudis. Uh, And then owned by the Saudis. Oh, I see. Also in his 1947 commentary article, Ernest Asher concludes that while the past and present development of Palestine in regard to Middle Eastern oil has been confined to the northern area of the country with Haifa as the pipeline terminal, shipping and refining center, the future development is likely to center around the Gaza area, a hundred miles south of Haifa on the Mediterranean coast. Oil deals now being negotiated in New York and London, which affect Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia and Palestine, are the biggest in history and will change the face of the Middle East within two or three decades. This is our grubby region. We want Gimme, gimme. Yeah. Hands, squeezy hands. We Forget want the that. people that live Forget here. The people want. We want it. It's almost as if this was like, you know, directed by from a very long time ago. <laughs> done on purpose. It's almost as if people uh, continue to have certain stances because they have a mm. fiscal investment. <laughs> <laughs> the major companies involved in the Iraq Petroleum Company have all changed names, but the effects of their land grab are still being acutely felt. British owner Anglo-Persian Oil Company is now British Petroleum, Mm. BP, if you will. I won't. Shell dropped the Royal Dutch prefixes. And the fruits of Rockefeller's loins, Standard Oil of New York and New Jersey, have both transitioned separately and then combined into ExxonMobil. And Standard Oil of California was bought out by the Saudi government, now known as Saudi Aramco. Saudi Aramco is actually a cool name. I know, it's unfortunate. Saudi Aramco. It just rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Saudi Aramco. We know that corporations are political entities with a material impact on the existence or marginalization of a wide variety of communities. But there's been a keen attempt over the past several decades to try and obscure that line. Mm. And on the flip side, political entities' manipulation of corporate interests and identities allows them to employ companies and their spending dollars as tools for state aims. Dollar imperialism, baby. They're really good at it. They're so good. fortunately so good at it's it. not back it's just it's, it's never just, left it's just never left and it just moves around a little and bit and it's sort of made a lot of decisions for pretty much everyone south america latin america middle east where are we going with this and africa oh all of <laughs> much In 1950, the Iraq Petroleum Company proposed a new pipeline from Iraq to Syria, bypassing Haifa completely to be built with American steel. Mm. Members of the American Zionist Council responded that the State Department's approval of the project would postpone indefinitely any hope of a peace settlement between Israel and Palestine. What? Because the new pipeline would deliver business not to Haifa's $30 million refineries, but to Syria instead. That sounds like... And that's bad for peace. <laughs> that's bad for peace for some reason. And by peace, we mean us. Yes. We are peace. Sounds like economic terrorism to me, but hey, what do I know? <laughs> we decide <laughs> whomst is peaceful. And more recently, in 2008, Hasbro got into hot what? water with an internet vote to determine which cities would be included in a new version of Monopoly <gasps> called Here and Now, the World Edition. Cities were listed on the website with a country, Paris, France, Cairo, Egypt, etc., But a London employee decided to remove the country designation of Israel from Jerusalem after complaints from Palestinian advocates. Yeah. The change sparked a massive response from Israeli fans of the game, wondering why theirs was the only city without its country listed. In response, Hasbro simply removed the country designations from every other option. It's easier this way. It's actually easier this way. (laughs) It was a bad decision, one that we rectified relatively quickly, spokesman Wayne Charnas said. This is a game. We never wanted to enter into any political debate. We apologize to our Monopoly fans. (laughs) We're not political. We're just a game about fucking monopolies. 
But the truth of Monopoly is that it started as an outright political project by Lizzie Maggie, who wanted to demonstrate the consequences of land grabbing and landlordism. In 1937... <laughs> she would be fucking just really upset about this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> she's gonna haunt us. She's... I hope she's haunting the ghost of Rockefeller. Could you imagine? They would fight. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. Pretty probably, cool. Probably at the Rockefeller Center. Pretty cool big fight, I think. I think that'd be neat. <laughs> ghost versus ghost. In 1937, Maggie sold the patents to Parker Brothers for $500. Oh, no. Which is about... 10500 today. Maggie, you should have seen this coming. Yeah. You know well, about monopolies. They sold a short run of the landlord's game and then began distributing Monopoly by Charles <gasps> Darrow. Oh, no. Who had ripped the idea off of Maggie's game wholesale. Of course. But she is a hoyman. Yes. So. So she has no rights. And the name was different? Yeah, hers was the landlord's game. His yeah. was called Monopoly. Yeah. But there's a very clear chain of, like, how he got the idea. Yeah. How he made his own version of it and it's sold like, it to. It's like the Barbie situation. It's like it's much like the Barbie situation. Yeah. Purchased by toy giant Hasbro in 1991, Monopoly is licensed in 103 countries and printed in 37 languages. Wait, in 1991? Yeah. Is when Hasbro purchased Barker Brothers. Oh, okay. Dang. Yeah. Seems like it should have been later, but wow. Mm. It has countless spinoffs, including a unique custom version sold by FAO Schwartz for $100,000 with a gemstone-studded board and paper money replaced by real negotiable U.S. dollars. (laughs) Can you imagine being so fucking rich? (laughs) Apparently it's in a museum now, and the actual, like, it's been, like, estimated to actually cost around $2 million. Have you ever been into an FAO Schwartz? One time when I went to New York. Did you ever, like, you walk in and you're like, oh, this isn't for me? Yes, absolutely. These these toys are very expensive. This is not for me. Except that, regrettably, it was 2006, and oh. I was still a big Harry Potter fan, and oh. they had a big Harry Potter section. Oh, did they? Yeah. So I, I was like, I'm not a FAO F-A-O Schwartz boy. I'm a KB Toys boy. Absolutely, yeah. I totally would. There was so much stuff in there that's, like, so expensive, but it's like, well, but there's a picture of a um, a stuffed toy on the internet that's, yeah. like, a meme, and it's, like, to be loved is to be changed, and it's a, an image of a, a stuffed animal that's, like, all matted down with years yeah, and years of yeah. being held. Yeah. And it's, like, the things that are in F.A. Schwartz look like you shouldn't do that you, to them. I am picturing, you probably picture, there is a huge, like, life-size lion mm-hmm. that F.A. A.O. Schwartz always had and its fur was perfect that's a display piece you don't play with that lion they're too expensive to be loved they're too expensive to be loved like me (laughs) I'm expensive I also didn't realize KB Toys we gotta do KB Toys oh yeah absolutely was like is like a warehouse for unwanted toys well that's where I should be but that's why everything was so cheaper and, like, you di- you got, like, the stuff that, like, not the cool stuff. Yeah. But, like, the stuff that n- did not sell before. Well, I don't think we we had KB toys no, where I'm from. No, you probably have something like it, though, in the malls where it was, like, it was a toy store. It was, like, the winners of toys. Okay, yeah. Where it's stuff that didn't sell in the regular store, so it's discounted. If we went to the big mall yeah. in Nanaimo, yeah. we went to the Toys R Us. Toys R Us is too expensive. But if we were in Courtney Comox, there was a small toy store called Whale's Tales Toys that was on Main Street. And uh, I think my brother's friend's mom ran it. Yeah. And so we would go there to buy toys. I got, went to KB Toys to get... Also Zellers. Oh yeah. And then Zellers, right? Yeah. It was kind of, it's almost like if it didn't sell at Zellers, if it didn't sell at 
uh, Toys R Us, you would go to KB Toys, um, like an outlet, right? I would like to go there because people have bad taste, and I bet there are so oh many good God. toys there. So I remember going, and <laughs> this is when uh, Tamagotchi was big. Yeah. Um, of course, God. I couldn't get a Tamagotchi. Those were very expensive. I swear I got a Tamaguchi. Mm, I had a Dinky Dino. Oh, Dinky Di- I remember Dinky Dino. Now, I have to tell you a very sad story. Yeah. Which is that during the height of the Tamagotchi craze, yeah. the teachers in my school banned us from... Because it's always... Playing with them. Yeah. Uh, so I would, you know, mine would be alive every morning. And by and the time I got home from school, it would be dead. And you just kept going. I just kept going. This and is I just a, was Sisyphus, so sad. a Sisyphus. It was my Dinky Dino <laughs> Sisyphus moment. I bought my Tamaguchi uh, branded uh, Tamagotchi. No, it wasn't Tamagotchi. Could pause. Oh. You could pause it. God, if only. My Dinky Dino would still be alive today. <laughs> So sad. So sad. Rip. <sighs> With the power that brands have over our daily lives, yes. political realities, and human rights, the obfuscation they have developed over time is steadily dissolving. Mm. In large part, I believe that's thanks to the exact aspects of younger generations that Lizzie Maggie was hoping the landlord scheme would resonate with. Mm. But as McDonald's Israel and its franchise counterparts in Bahrain, Jordan, Oman, Qatar, and Kuwait issue opposing statements about the ongoing attempted genocide of Palestinians, and Walt Disney gives millions to Israel, Mm -hmm. the reality of the brand as an inherently political tool is becoming more evident every day. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, here's a commercial about that. Oh, a a Monopoly commercial? Yes. Okay. Uh, If you want to watch along, you can watch along in our sources. It's going to be bad. It's going to be rough. It's going to be a lot. (laughs) No wonder you were drained all this week writing this. We'll return after these messages. In all new Monopoly Empire, you can buy and own the world's top brands like Xbox. I want to. Transformers and Beats by Dr. Dre. All new Monopoly Empire. When you own the world's top brands, you own it all. Welcome back to the show. Holy shit. Hold on, I want to look up what brands were on that. Beats by Dre. Oh, yeah. Okay, it doesn't say. But I do want, before we get into Mm. it, the game pieces. Oh, no. Let's talk about the game pieces. Number one, they're gold colored. They're not silver. They are Not your popper's medal. (laughs) For me. Okay, if you had to pick the brands, the six brands mm. that were represented in the tokens, they paid enough money to be a token, what would you have? McDonald's. McDonald's French fries. Yep. Disney. Oh, that's a good... I don't think the Disney played with this. Oh, because it's Hasbro. It's Hasbro. <laughs> You're right. But okay. there is at least two motor vehicles available. Chevy. Yes, you're right. A Chevy automobile. You're really good. Uh, and Volkswagen? Uh, Ducati motorcycle. Ducati. Which is dope. Uh, you also had, of course, Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft Xbox 360 controller. And a Paramount Pictures clapper board. 
She's here. She's here and she's clapping. She's here. There's two dice. One has a, you know, a regular D6. One has two shaking hands. When rolled, the player has the option to swap top tiles with another player if they choose to. So it's like making deals. Yeah. I hate this so much. It's pretty awful. What year was this? 2013. I also hate the fact that the money pack only includes 50s, 100s, and 500s. Well, what's the fucking point? (laughs) Also, you can have 50K, 100K, and 250K. More money. The world is the more money. Okay, so this is a very 2010s yeah. commercial. It's like, we want it all, blah, blah, blah. We want corporations. We're buying it. And it is basically like what Disney is doing. Yeah. I would like to say Disney is, instead of like, you know, in negotiations, they just have a board of like, what should we buy next? And I mean, Hasbro is also doing this. And Hasbro's, oh my God. And Microsoft. Um, so they had Transformers was uh, shown. Yeah. Xbox 360 was shown. And Beats by Dre. And Beats by Dre was, he's here. He's here. Don't forget about him. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I just, I hate, because I think this was made and this was not a big boardroom decision. Mm-hmm. It was made by guys who were like out to golf. Yeah. And they're like, you know what we could do? Hey, brother, you know, we could just like put together a board game with all of our stuff and promote each other together. Absolutely. 100%. I'm sure that's how it was. It, it was not like a serious thing. It was like, and guess what? The people, they'll eat it up because they love French fries and Coca-Cola. And then they'll, those other companies, they'll pay us to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. You want to advertise on our fucking game board? You want a license? I can't believe anyone would buy this. Yeah. I can't I, believe uh, it would be, uh, uh, we saw online, it was a Walmart exclusive at one point. I guess they're involved. Why not? I hate it. The oh man. I when I was a kid, yeah. We had the thing that this reminds me of and yeah. I know there's absolutely no relation, but the the modern like game that we had was Trivial Pursuit Millennium Edition. Oh. I had like questions about stuff that actually have because we also had the genus edition which is the original edition um, which we played very much but it had questions from like 1890 i was answering questions about the soviet (laughs) for much of my life first jeff (laughs) and so was this other game yeah so millennium was like it yeah it had stuff up to the year 2000 essentially so i had like questions about bill clinton yeah questions about i won a game because i knew the name of a NASCAR guy that nobody expected me to know, and they were all mad I won. What, Jeff Gordon? Jeff Gordon. Of course. Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Jeff Gordon, baby. Yeah. Boy, how do you feel about that? About? Knowing Jeff Gordon. Um, I was very proud of myself because I am famously unable to answer a direct question <laughs> that someone asked <laughs> me to know about something. I know about a lot of things, but if you say, hey, do you know this? I'll be like, I don't know anything. Trivia's hard. Yeah. This game is rotten to the core. Yeah. And it feels like instead of playing, maybe you should just ejaculate onto it. Gross. Maybe you should just get around with your friends and just like, instead of playing, like, we're just going to have a little wet orgy on this game board loving about all these corporations. Now, I do have to tell you that in my research into Monopoly, there are at least two unlicensed versions of it. One of them is created by Fire Island Games, and it is called Gayopoly. (laughs) What? Is it? 
what would be on there? I guess just different, like Castro and Fire Island yeah. and P-Town. And... If I remember correctly, the game pieces were pretty wild. What do you mean? <laughs> Ken's uh, cock ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, just Harvey Milk is there. <laughs> He's just a little guy. He's there. He's there. No one just wants to play him. pile of cocaine. <laughs> It's 2023. It's 2023. Um, and boy, it's gotten worse, huh? Yep. I think we're gonna do the we're gonna do the same thing. Okay. But it's just one square because oh. one company owns everything. Owns everything. So it's one square. Yeah, it's just one so you square. You just sit around and look at it. <laughs> that got me. Same vibe. It's. Four cool friends, and they're playing Monopoly. It, the lighting is toit. It's like <laughs> glass and neon, and the music is pumping. We got some EDM. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, let's play Monopoly. This, the Empire Edition. And then they put out the game board. It's just one square. And then they just, they're all and staring they're like, at the pieces. <laughs> they can't touch the pieces. <laughs> no one may touch the pieces. Only the company may do that. We're not the company. So it just is to remind us as consumers that we have no power over what happens in these industries. There's just like a photograph of all the money that the company has. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, the game board. So it's one square and it says like Disney, Fox, whatever, whatever. Apple, whatever they own now, right? And, but it is a um, a, a touchscreen. So when they develop and buy new companies, it can update. Mm -hmm. And also you can see the um, big business owners just fan themselves with money. (laughs) Like, look at what we have. You may not. You may not touch. Mm -hmm. It's ours. We own everything. And then everyone who wants to play the game can't. You just watch. And then they're like, ha, 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 this is great. And then someone brings out their Beat headphones. They're like, I'm going to put on Spotify that I pay money for that is owned by this company and this company. And I'm going to feel dread, existential dread. (laughs) And everyone's like, yeah, right. Great. We love these companies that somehow control our human rights. <laughs> we. Yay. That's what it is. Yeah. One square. Monopoly. Empire. Empire. Not empires. Empire. Empire. Just one. Yeah. I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You've done a great job. Wait, you did this. I this did your story. <laughs> Can I lighten your life? Please lighten my life and my load. You know, ooh. <laughs> well, we're going to have to wait till later to do that. Um, you know what's the light of my life? What? When listeners send us emails <gasps> with local ads. It enriches in me. It is. Like a yeasty dough. I've been watching a lot of Bake Off. Oh, dang. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, number one VIP listener, Daryl, sent us an email <laughs> with not one, not two, but three ads. Hell yeah, Daryl. You fucking kidding me? We only have two two left. Two episodes yeah. left? Yeah. So you're so going to have Darryl, to. So, Daryl, you might be. Okay. So, hi, Alan D. I come bearing local ads. The first one is from Langston. Uh, I just saw it on my TV and said, WTF. And immediately looked at it up to send to you. Folks, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. You see it? If you see something, say something. No, 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 no,
Okay, so I'm going to watch this out. We're going to watch this together. I don't know what this is. Oh. Y'all didn't give us a, a, an explanation. So Fresh eyes. We are going to just experience it together. Cool. If you want to watch it along with us, you can go to our sources. Yes, please. All of us genies at OK Audemars want to make your wishes come true. Whether you're looking for a great deal on a nice car, wish granted. OK Audemars has a huge selection of barely used cars. Have bad credit or no credit? Wish granted. We have plenty of banks and credit unions fighting for your business. Got a car you want to trade in? Wish granted. We have the best trading offers in town. So come on in today and make all your wishes come true. OK Audemars, where your car buying magic happens. Okay, okay, Automar. First of all, first of all, I do love her. She breathes life into This me. is a girly. This is the girly. <laughs> she goes into the Jack in the Box with a big thing of vodka and she's gonna mix it into her Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Was this her idea? Probably not. Probably I'm not. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say someone knew someone. I'm gonna say yikes. <laughs> Is what I'm going to say. She is put into an adult Jasmine costume. An adult Jasmine costume. (laughs) They went to the Spirit Halloween. They went to, they found the adult Jasmine. They squeezed her into one. And she's like, this is my life now. They purchased two effects. They layered them over (laughs) each other. And they rotated those bitches any which way. (laughs) Well, I will say three. Number one, smoke. Number two, Lighting fingers. (laughs) Switch to switch. Every time she moved her hands in a very specific way, lights followed her fingers. Yeah, magic shot out of her. I would pay someone to do that to me. (laughs) Vogue, Vogue, Vogue. Light, light, light. And then there was like, she held her hand out like she was serving A&W in the drive-thru. And there was a car that floated there. It was magic. And then it disappeared in a thing of light. How do we feel about this company's logo? Oh, yeah, there is... Pretty bad, I think. There is a genie and or djinn, and he is wearing a turban. And it's not in the, like... Maybe, I want to say, this is what my gut feels like. Yeah. Disney's Aladdin comes out. Oh, yeah. They're like, everyone loves the genie. Robin Williams, the genie? We got to get on that. And then then 40 years later. (laughs) But then they went too far. Yeah. And they went really into it. Why is he wearing a turban? Yeah, I don't... The, was the genie wearing a turban? No, the genie did not. But everybody else genie was. genie had a little cute little gay um, yeah. ponytail and a little little Van Dyke thing going on. Everyone else was. Anyway, girl, call us. <laughs> we can help you. We can help you. Blink if you need help. <laughs> but she was giving her. She was absolutely serving. I hope she got a car for this. Oh, man. <laughs> if you have a local ID, you'd like to serve us with your little sparkle hands. I would love to see a commercial what? where someone is just voguing and building like a Haryukan ball in their hands <laughs> as they vogue and then they just incinerate it. It would be too powerful. <laughs> I'm sure there's an auto mart somewhere that does that. Yeah. Can okay? Do you know of a Dragon Ball Z type local ad? Because we would love to see. We it. would love to see. It's out. I feel it in my bones. I know it's, it's gotta, gotta be. be out there. Hunt. Go on the hunt for one. Send it to us. Icreeps at gmail.com. Yes, please and thank you. And where else are we? Uh, you can also find us on Blue Sky and Co-host yeah. and Instagram yeah. and Kofi. All of those uh, at AdCreeps. Ad and then, yes, as our, yeah. Okay, yep, my brain stopped. I think Al is rebooted. <laughs> 
Uh, someone has put a mandate system on their brain. They're not in control. No. And will not be getting control in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> Two weeks, I think. <laughs> okay, until next time, we are signing off. Hmm, but first, a word from my sponsor.